All right. What is the greatest gift that you have ever received? Like birthdays, Christmas, you think back and you think, man, this is the best one. I remember this and I remember it like it was yesterday and I was super stoked about it. And man, I just couldn't contain my excitement. I was thinking about that this morning and and a few came to mind. This one, number one. Now this is, in case you're wondering, this is the only legit form of the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. It's not the like anime nonsense that they've come up with now. This is the good old-fashioned American 1980s, 1989 came out, and I remember getting it, and, I, and this was the uh, Turtles pizza thrower, and this, in 1989 came out, and I remember getting it, and I distinctly have memories of sitting on my parents' bedroom floor shooting pizzas across the room. The pizzas were the weapons, and they killed the bad guys, so that was one of the greatest gifts that I ever received. It, it just, it, it's locked in my mind, and then there was this one, which they probably don't sell anymore. This G.I. Joe was a thing when I was growing up. So G.I. Joe, the great American hero, knowing it's half the battle, right? You guys don't know that. But anyways, it was a whole thing, right? And this was the Rolling Thunder combat vehicle. And I, I not only remember having it, I remember opening this. And it was the coolest. And it was a Christmas in 1988. And my mom had got me this like Playmobil doctor helicopter that she wanted me me to be interested in. And my dad at the same time had gone out and bought this thing for me. And, and this thing has missiles attached to it too. So I played with the Playmobil doctor helicopter, but it got blown out of the sky by this. And uh, yeah, but that was just one of those gifts that I was just floored when I opened it. I, I just thought it was the coolest thing, the G.I. Joe rolling thunder combat vehicle. Uh, man, I just, finding these, these pictures this morning just brought me back to uh, the 80s, which is a good place to, to be sometimes. And then the other one, and now I've, I've always kind of been a quasi-gamer, not like a legit serious gamer. Like, I don't play games on the computer. Like, I'm not at that level. Um, I've always been kind of a console guy, right? Well, the, the best console that I ever got was uh, Connection Lost, was a better one than, than the iPad. Bear with me one second. The best console that I ever got. So I, I had the Nintendo. Any of you guys out here have a, an original Nintendo? couple of you. Any of you out here have the Super Nintendo? No? There were some gas. Some of you were like, there's a Super Nintendo? Okay, yeah, a couple of you. Well, I, th- I think the greatest one, and I may need the clicker, which I came prepared for. I think the greatest one is actually not the, uh, the Super Nintendo or the Nintendo, but it was the next generation, which is, um, man, did we talk about this? It was this. The Sega Genesis. Did anybody have a Sega Genesis? Okay, Danny, yeah, I expect that. Evie, Paul, yeah. Anybody under the age of 25 ever have a Sega Genesis? No, probably not. Mike did. Okay, all right. I see you over there. Yeah, the the Sega Genesis. And the thing I loved about this was this was the system that introduced Madden football. So if you like Madden, it goes back to this system right here. Sonic the Hedgehog, that goes back to this system right here. So these were things that just, I, I remember opening them. I remember just being kind of geeked out of my mind that I got these gifts. And, and whatever those things are for you, I'm sure you can think back and say, yeah, I remember when I got this and it was, it was awesome. But I want to ask and, and, and pose the question, have you ever considered that your singleness is one of the greatest gifts that the Lord has ever given you? And maybe for some of you, you've come out of bad relationships, and so you've said, yeah, of course, I, I think singleness is the best thing ever. But, but not just because you're 
you're not in a, a bad relationship, but if, have you ever considered that God has given you this time of life to be used and stewarded for him in a way that's unique and in a way that is, you have freedoms right now to pursue the Lord in ways that you won't have in the future. Have you ever thought that, that singleness is the greatest gift or one of the greatest gifts that the Lord could give you? In fact, you know, marriage is good, dating is good, and, and I'm pro those things, right? I mean, if you spend time around me, as some of you can testify, can testify to, I'm going to say, hey, who, guys, who are you, who's your eye on? Who do you want to take out for coffee? Who do you want to go out with? Who are you pursuing, right? Marriage is a good thing. However, sometimes we can take a good thing like dating or a good thing like marriage, and we can make it an ultimate thing. And when we make a good thing an ultimate thing, then we've made it an idol in our heart. And that's where the problem comes in. And so sometimes we can fall into this trap where we are so distracted by feeling like we need a relationship or we need to be married or if I'm not married or if I'm not in a relationship, then, then it's not going to be fulfilling. It's not, my life won't be satisfying. I won't be truly happy. And when, when we start to make statements like that and kind of get to that point, what we've done at that point is we've made a good thing an ultimate thing and we found that we have an idol in our lives that's distracting us from pursuing the Lord. Look, the, the goal is, yes, for, for most of you in this room, probably marriage. But the question I want to ask you right now is, as you're in your singleness, what are you doing with your singleness? Because your singleness is a gift from God. We talk about the gift of singleness, and so many of you think to yourselves, well, I hope I don't have that permanently. Fine, that's, that's great. But the reality is you have it right now. Even those of you who are in a dating relationship right now, look, you still are single, okay? In the eyes of God, you are still single. Even though you're like, you've got the heart eye emojis and, and everything else, and you're like, there's no way we'll ever break up, and I love this person so much. Look, you're still not married to that person. And so you are still in the life. What does that look like? So I want us to talk about how can we be undistracted in this time of your life? What does that look like? So grab your Bibles, 1 Corinthians chapter 7. 1 Corinthians chapter 7. We're going to read verses 32 through 35. 1 Corinthians 7, the, the context of this chapter is really all about relationships, okay? And Paul was married or single? Single, right? And so Paul's talking about the, the gift of singleness as a guy who possessed the gift of singleness. Now, Paul's not going to say that you shouldn't be married in here. He's going to say, in fact, look, if you want to be married, you should get married. It's better to get married than to burn with lust for other people, right? Paul's going to commend marriage in that regard here. But he's also going to say, look, he's, he's going to lay this out and say, this is my personal conviction, not necessarily a word from the Lord on this, but Paul's going to say, I think singleness is even better. And he's going to make his argument here. And I think he makes a, a compelling argument, at least for you to think about how you're using the time that you currently have right now. Pick up in verse 32. Paul says, I want you to be free from anxieties. The unmarried man is anxious about the things of the Lord and how to please the Lord. But the married man is anxious about worldly things and how to please his wife. And his interests are divided and the unmarried or betrothed woman is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to be holy in body and spirit. But the married woman is anxious about worldly things, how to please her husband. I say this for your own benefit, not to lay any restraint upon you. In other words, not to say that you have to stay single, but to promote good order, and here it is, and to secure your undivided devotion to the Lord. Man, I love that phrase that Paul uses there. That's our goal, whether you're in this room and you're 
single, you're dating, uh, those of us who are married in this room, uh, that goal should be our goal. That's our, that's, in fact, if you want a theme verse for this retreat, it's this one right here. 1 Corinthians 7.35, that we would have an undivided devotion to the Lord. That's our goal with all of this. And Paul's saying, look, I've just found, in my experience, because Paul knew some, some people that were married, right? Peter was married, yes? In fact, we know that, how? Because in the book of Acts, what happens to Peter's mother-in-law? She gets healed by Jesus. Well, how do you get a mother-in-law? You get, you get married, right? So the Catholic Church and their whole idea that, that priests should be celibate, their, their, priest, their ultimate priest in Peter, the, the first pope, apparently, was married, okay? Yeah, they, that's, that's a problem for me. But Paul knew some guys that were married, and, and Paul's conclusion was, look, I'm looking at their life, and I'm looking at my life, and I'm just telling you what I'm observing is, is that it's, it's better to be single than to be married. Now, there's a couple words that need definitions before we keep going. Paul says, I want you to be free from anxieties. Well, what is he talking about with anxieties? Well, he's not talking about all anxieties, right? Because he's going to say, look, the unmarried man is anxious about the things of the Lord. The unmarried woman is anxious about the things of the Lord. So there he's going to say, that, that's a good thing. It's, it's good to have anxieties about the things of the Lord. Okay, well, but wait a minute. Paul, you say in Philippians chapter 4 that I'm to be service in their translation. Because the thing, okay, here's where I think the ESV did us a little bit of a disservice in their translation. Because the word anxious here or anxiety here could also be simply just translated concern. And that's what a lot of translations will render this as. I want you to be concerned about the things of the Lord, right? Not concerned about these worldly things. Now, that's the second word that we need to define there, worldly. So often we hear the word worldly in the context of the church, in the context of the Bible, and we think these are sinful things, wrong, bad things, right? And oftentimes it is. When John says, do not love the world or the things in the world, those are the worldly things, and those are the things that are the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the boastful pride of life. Well, in 1 Corinthians 7, we need a little bit of a paradigm shift because when Paul says that the married man is anxious about worldly things, the married woman is anxious about worldly things, he's not saying that these are sinful things. He's saying that these are things that are tied to just the, the, the day-in, day-out activities of life. You know, caring for a husband, caring for a wife, caring for a family, caring for kids. These are earthly things that divide our attention and, and require our attention. Now, again, I want you to have the mindset that those are not necessarily bad things. God designed marriage, yes? In fact, what, what's one of the first commands that God gives his creatures? What? Be fruitful and multiply. Look, if you want to be fruitful, you better get married before you're fruitful. You know what I'm saying? But marriage and having children, it, it, that's a good thing. That's something that God wants from us. So this is not a sinful thing. Paul's simply saying, look, if, if our goal here is to have an undivided devotion to the Lord, he's saying you're, you're more prone to be successful in that while you're single than you are after you get married. And that's what I want you guys to realize right now. As you're thinking about where you're at, and so many of you are probably sitting there going, man, I wish I was married. I wish I had a boyfriend. I wish I had a girlfriend. I wish I knew that I would get married. Look, if those are your desires, I trust that in most of your cases, God is going to answer those prayers and answer those desires and provide that person for you. But what I want you to, to think about and what I want Paul, what I think Paul wants you to think about more importantly 
is this season that God has given you is a season where you are undivided in your attention, in your distractions. You aren't married. You don't have a family. You don't have kids. And now God has given you this season and he's saying, I want you to steward it well by running hard after me and concerning yourself with how to please me and how to devote yourself with an undivided devotion to me. And that's what Paul is dealing with here, undivided devotion. Think about an Olympic gymnast, right? They're not an Olympic, Olympic gymnast when they're five, are they? No, but they're probably in gymnastics at that age, aren't they? My daughter Annie, she goes to gymnastics over by the church at the Zaharian, whatever. Azarian, that's what it is, Azarian. Gymnastics place there, and I'll go to pick her up sometimes, and I walk in there, and there's like some three-year-olds that are doing things with their bodies that God just didn't design them to do with their bodies. Like they're just contorting and and everything else. And then you see the whole gamut. I mean, then you see the, the, the preteens that are out there doing their flips and tumbles, and you see the, the ones on the bars that are risking life and limb to flip themselves around and catapult through the air and stick their landing. And why are they doing that? Why are they, and, and they're always, they've got a, a wrap on their wrist or their elbow. Or there's some injury that they're dealing with. And, and you ask yourself, well, why is it so worth it for them? And it's because they've got an undistracted devotion. They've got an undivided focus. And that is that they want what? They want to make the Olympics. That's their goal. And everything that they do is driven towards that goal, right? They're going to compete, but the competitions that they're in right now, if they're winning these medals in these competitions on the lower levels, that's fine. But really, that's not the end goal. They, they don't care as much about those accolades because what do they want? They want to compete at the highest level. They want the, the prize goal, which is the Olympics. And so they're willing to, to sacrifice. They're willing to give of themselves. And you know what? They're, they're not going to have a whole lot of other things going on in their life because they want to pursue one thing and one thing only, and that is their dream of getting to the Olympics. Well, guys, we need to be that way with our relationship with Jesus. When you ask yourself, hey, what's my goal for myself this year? At the beginning of the year, as we think about New Year's resolutions and those things, what are my goals for this year? You know, number one on that list should be, man, I want to pursue an, uh, the Lord with an undivided devotion an undistracted devotion. That's goal number one for me this year. I do not want to be deterred. I do, want to, do not want to be distracted from my devotion to the Lord. Or if you think about, well, okay, I'm pursuing this degree for school and I'm going to eventually graduate, Lord willing, and then what do I want to do? What, what's my goal with my degree? What, what do I want to do with my job? Number one in, that, in answering that question should be this. I, I want to pursue an undivided devotion to the Lord with whatever I do with my career. Or if you think, you know, even just more basic, hey, what are my plans for this summer? What am I going to do this summer? Number one on that list should be, I want to pursue the Lord with an undivided, undistracted devotion to him. First and foremost, no matter what I do. You know, what do I want to do today? I want to pursue the Lord with an undivided and undistracted devotion. What's the greatest commandment? How does Jesus respond? Love the Lord your God with what? Yeah, yeah, yeah. The murmur answer, right? Love the Lord your God with all your soul, all your might, all your strength, all your mind, right? With everything that you are, love Jesus. Basically, right? That's how we can boil it down. But the problem is, is, is we, even when you say, hey, what are, what are your priorities? If I ask you, what are your priorities in life? Here's what I guess most of you in the room would say. Well, number one is God, right? I, I'm, I'm imagining all of us would say, well, number one is God. Number two is 
you know, my family. Number three is school. Number four is my job. Or friends are going to factor in there somewhere. Can I just tell you that that's, that's wrong? Because what that assumes is at some point in time in the day that you're done with God and now it's time to move on to your family. And now it's time to move on to your friends. And now it's time to move on to your work. And now it's, That's not how it works. That's not what God wants of you. He wants you to love him with everything that you are in every facet, in every arena of your life. That's what we were talking about last night a little bit, right? The things that you love, do they distract you from Jesus or do they propel you towards Jesus? Look, if there's something in your life that does not fuel your relationship with Jesus, why do you need it? You shouldn't need it. The command is, is, is there. Love him with everything. And you say, well, Pastor Peter, that's impossible. Okay, fine. But is that your aim every single day? God, I want to love you with everything that I am today. I want an undivided devotion in serving you today. In the Old Testament, it was written this way in Deuteronomy chapter 10, verses 12 through 13. And now, Israel, what does the Lord require of you but to fear the Lord your God, to walk in all his ways, to love him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and to keep the commandments and statutes of the Lord, which I am commanding you today for your good. Y'all, in this section of, of Corinthians, Paul is focusing on how your singleness helps you in that goal and in that aim. Let me illustrate it this way. This is my handiwork with the pen right before we started here. But if I can illustrate it this way. So you've got God up top, right? God is, is the source of your life. And you've got yourself here in the, the center there. Now, every single thing that you have, every single relationship that you have is another string that you're sending out from yourself out to these relationships. So maybe that's marriage, your, your wife, your job, your kids, your friends, your, your, your coworkers, your neighbors, your, your whoever, right? Every single one of those needs to come back to you and flow back up to your relationship with the Lord. That's what we're talking about here right? So your relationship with God is going to be manifested in your relationship with your spouse. It's going to be manifested in your relationship with your kids, in your relationship with your job and your coworkers, in your relationship with your friends. There's no arena of your life that's disconnected from your relationship and your identity as a follower of Jesus. So do you see now why, why Paul is saying, man, when you add more of these strings, when you add a wife, when you add more and more and more and more and more, and you're being spread thinner and thinner and thinner, do you, do you see what he's saying there? And he's saying, instead, if, if I were to erase all those lines and it's God, you, and then, yeah, maybe you've got some friends and you've got your job, you just have so much more of an ability to give so much more effort to focusing on God and those arenas, and you're not having to spread yourself so thin. That's Paul's argument here. He's saying you have this opportunity while you're single to be, as he puts it here, free from anxieties. Again, not anxieties, Philippians 4, the sinful things of the, the, the fear and the doubt that we have, but the concern is what he's saying. I want you to be free from concern for worldly things. I want you to be just concerned, as he says, about the things of the Lord instead. Paul's making his point that marriage, though good, it, it does divide our attentions. I, as a, as a husband, I need to, to love my wife well, right? And that's an extension of my relationship with the Lord. As I love my wife well, that is honoring and pleasing to the Lord. You know, as a, as a dad, I need to love my kids well. But, and that's an extension of my relationship with the Lord. I'm obeying him by loving my kids well. But, you know, guys, at the, at the same time, when I'm married and, and I've, I've got my kids and, and 
there's an opportunity to go do this at 11.30 at night and hang out here with some, some other believers and be encouraged and fellowship with them. I, I, I can't do that because I have other responsibilities. There's another string that's, that's connected off of me. You see what I'm saying? There's some practical things that, right, it's, it's like a, a, a two-sport athlete. There was a, an athlete back in the day, well, Bo Jackson. Anybody know the name Bo Jackson? Yeah, Bo knows. And, and Bo is a two-sport athlete and just phenomenal at it. The, uh, more, somewhat more recently, although not much, Deion Sanders, primetime, played baseball for the Braves, played football for the Cowboys most significantly, right? He was a cornerback, number 21. Yeah. Yeah, back in the Cowboys' glory days. Oh, man, those were good days. But a two-sport athlete, right, is phenomenal to think that you could compete at the highest level of two separate professional sports, right? And yet, they're never going to be able to last in that. Why? Because their attention is what? It's divided and it's, it's split. What they're doing is great, but they're not going to be as good at it as they could be if they just focused on, on one thing. So is the paradigm that we would do everything that we do for the glory of God, including dating and marriage? Yes, it is. And that's true, right? And, and yes, when I do premarital counseling, do I tell the couple, look, your love for one another should be sanctifying to the other person. In other words, that your, your love for your spouse should make them more like Jesus, right? And this is what I say to our premarital, premarital couples all the time. I say, look, you guys are entering into a relationship where you're committing to one another to say, it's, it's better for me to be married to you. As a result of being married to you, I'm going to be more like Jesus than if I were single for the rest of my life. Like, that's what marriage is, right? And, and so is that true? Yes, that's true. Marriage has a sanctifying impact on our lives. And, and yes, when they exchange their vows up there, they're looking into each other's eyes with the heart emojis and everything else, and they're saying, look, I promise I'm going to love you first always. Well, no, I'm going to love Jesus first always and then love you, and I'm going to, every single day of my life, I'm going to serve you like Christ loved the church, and I'm going to give myself up for you daily, and I'm going to love you, and we're going to sing hymns together before we go to bed every night, and we're going to read the Song of Solomon together on our honeymoon and cry because, and we're going to, we're going to love each other, and Jesus is going to be at the center, and I, I love you, and I love Jesus, and I vow all of these Jesus things about you, and I Jesus you, yes. Does that happen at the, yes, it does. And does the crowd sit there in the audience and go, oh, look how sweet this is. Yes, and let me tell you what I do as a pastor when I'm officiating those weddings. I suppress the eye roll as much as I possibly can. And you're looking at me going, how dare he say such a thing? Why? Is it wrong to vow to, to love Jesus most in your marriage? No, it's not wrong. Is it wrong to vow that you're going to put, make the other person love Jesus more as a result? No, it's not wrong. Is it wrong to vow that you're going to Instagram your cup of coffee and your Bible in the morning as every married couple does for the first like week until reality hits in? No, that's not wrong. But listen, guys, the reason I suppress the eye roll is because I know how hard that is at the end of the day. The vows are great. The intention is great. But listen, when you get married, there's a book, and it's so aptly titled. You know what this book is called? It's called this, When Sinners Say I Do. And there's another book that has a similar title. It's called, What Did You Expect? And the reality of those books is what it's saying is, it's not that marriage is bad, okay? Marriage is a good thing. But here's what marriage is. It's one sinner agreeing to move in and live with another sinner. And you know what happens then? They sin against each other. 
And that's where it's a sanctifying thing so often. And that's why it's, 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 it's difficult at times and it's distracting at times. And, and you're, you're taking on another person into your life and you are saying, I'm going to care about you and your godliness and not just myself and my own godliness. And Paul's simply saying here, look, it's, it's good to be single. Realize it's good to be single because you have an undivided devotion to the Lord. Y'all are in a unique time of life. I alluded to it earlier, but you get to create your own schedule. You make your own budget. You go on vacation where you want to go. You do the things that you want to do. You, you have a flexibility built into being a single person that I hope you're using for the glory of God. Our first point together this morning is this. Recognize what you have while you have singleness. Recognize what you have while you have singleness. Guys, I, listen, and, and, and let me make this abundantly clear. I love my wife, and I would not trade my marriage for anything in the world. And my wife makes me love Jesus more. And she is a phenomenal, amazing, godly woman, and I'm so thankful for her. I am glad to be married. I would not want to be single right now. Unless you think, man, Pastor PJ, it sounds like you're talking out of both sides of your mouth. Here's, here's where I stand on this. When I look back at my single years, here's what I regret. I regret how much time I wasted thinking, man, what if I don't end up married? Or, man, I, I want to be married. Or, I'm, I'm discontent being single. Or, man, what if, you know, it'd be great to be in a relationship with this person or that person. This, and you just, you exhaust yourself with it. And at the end of the day, you, you can't control that. When I was this kid, right? Yeah. When I was this kid, I mean, I, I wanted somebody to think, hey, yeah, I want to go hang out and go for a, a date in that 1991 Mercedes with the muffler in the trunk. When I was this kid, I mean, I feel like this is the awkward Brian or whatever picture kid over here, like sad Brian, right? I, I wanted... I wanted a girl to like me because I, I had this, it was an idol in my heart, right? It was an idol to say, look, I, I, I need that to feel satisfied, to feel happy, to feel validated, to feel fulfilled, instead of realizing, man, I'm single and I've got an opportunity to serve the Lord. And I've got an opportunity to run after the things that he loves and to learn more about what he loves and what he wants me to love, right? Because God had this girl for me that whole time. And so here's the thing, guys, I was, you want to talk about God's sovereignty, right? So I was, I was born in, in Philadelphia, so from your perspective, way up here, East Coast, right? Born in Philadelphia, by the way, I only lived there for six years, and then I got to the promised land in Texas as fast as I could. And I was, I was born again in the South, so when I get to heaven, my passport says Texas, it does not say Philadelphia. But I was born in Philadelphia June 25th, 1984. My wife was born in San Diego, California, October 10th, 1984. And I didn't come out to California until I was 18. We didn't meet each other until I was 19. So 18, 19 years of our lives, we grew up not having any clue about who the other person was. And yet God the whole time knew that we were going to be together. And so while I was growing up in Texas and I was worried about, you know, who's going to like this awkward stooge and, and, 
who's going to go out with me because I thought that I needed that. I didn't need to waste my time on that. I, in fact, it, that's what it was. It was simply a waste of time. It was nothing more than that because, see, God knew what he had in, in store for me. And so I'm sitting there going, man, who am I going to marry? And who's it going to be? And what's it going to be like? And I was, I was wasting time. And so many of you may be wasting time thinking, man, I need a relationship. I need to be married. I can't wait to be married. And what is it going to be like to be then? And what's it going to, and in the meantime, it's like you're, you're, you're wasting so much effort and anxiety and concern there instead of doing what Paul is saying and saying, look, why don't you redirect that passion and that concern towards the Lord? And try. Again, as, as a single person, as you have a flexibility, if a friend calls you to come over for fellowship, you can just go, right? If you have an opportunity to go to a, on, a, on a mission trip, you can just go. If you have an opportunity to, to, to give to a, a missionary or to a ministry, you can, you can just decide to give. If you have an opportunity to, to serve in the church, you can just serve and not say, well, how does this impact this person's schedule? How does this impact our agenda? How does this impact our calendar? There's a freedom to serve the Lord with a devotion that I, I just want to make sure that, that you guys understand here. Here's the thing, guys. This season that you have, your singleness, is a gift of God, which means that it is a stewardship for you guys to steward. That is something that, that you may be called to account on and to give a report on and say, this is what I, I used my singleness for, Lord. 2 Corinthians chapter 11. Go ahead and grab your Bibles and flip over. It's just one book to the right. 2 Corinthians chapter 11. I want you to think about what Paul writes here and think about how what he's saying in this part of 1 Corinthians chapter 7 allowed him and freed him up to do what he's about to say here, okay? 2 Corinthians chapter 11, beginning in verse 21. Midway, midway through verse 21, he says, but whatever anyone else dares to boast of, I'm speaking as a fool, I also dare to boast of that. Are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? Yeah, so am I. Are they offspring of Abraham? So am I. Are they servants of Christ? I am a better one. Paul's not arrogant and prideful here. He's making a point, okay? He, he's making a point here. He's saying, look, are they servants of Christ? I'm a better one. I'm talking like a fool, like a madman. And now listen to his, his ministry resume and ask yourself, man, if he had a wife and kids, would this be more imprisonment, countless beating? He says, with far greater labors, far more imprisonment, countless beatings, often near death. Five times I received at the hands of the Jews, 40 lashes less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea on frequent journeys in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, in toil and hardship, through many a sleepless night in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure, and apart from other things, there's the daily pressure on me of my concern for all the churches. Who is weak and I am not weak? Who is made to fall and I'm not indignant? If I must boast, I will boast of the things that show my weakness. Guys, if, if Paul was married, I, I don't think that's his resume. Right? Because if he's married, all of a sudden he's not going to put himself necessarily in harm's way that it, the way that he did when he was single because he now has to think about, well, I've got a wife and I've got kids that I need to care for and 
be there to provide for. See, that's the other thing right now, guys. You guys have a season in your life where you can take risks for Jesus that you can't necessarily take the same risks once you're married because you have a responsibility towards that relationship. Recognize your singleness is a gift from God. And again, why does Paul want you to understand that? So that he would be able to secure your undivided devotion, your undistracted devotion. Would you guys be able to describe right now your focus on the Lord as undivided devotion? I mentioned Amanda and I grew up on opposite sides of the country. And look, when, when we met each other, I wasn't looking for her. And I don't think she was looking for me. It's this back-to-school event, and a friend of mine drugged me down to it because I thought it was lame. And I walked around for 10 minutes just to appease him and get him off my back. And I was about to walk back up to my dorm, and he was there again and persistent and annoying, and I'm super thankful for it. And he called me over to this group. He said, PJ, come over here. And so I walked over, and Amanda was there. And I locked eyes with her and was like, she's awesome, and I want to get to know her more. I had no idea that was going to happen that night. I didn't plan for that. I didn't set myself out for that. Nothing. God dropped her into my life because he said, you know what, PJ, I've got this. You don't have to worry about it. Why don't you love me and let me worry about your love life? One thing as you pursue the Lord with this undistracted devotion, one thing that you will do as you're thinking about, okay, but how is this really going to help me down the road if I do want to be married? Well, one thing it's going to do is it's going to prepare you well to be married. It's going to make sure that, that you are the right person. He says the unmarried man, man is anxious about the things of the Lord. The unmarried woman is anxious about the things of the Lord. Again, these are concerns, right? Not anxieties, not fears, not worries, not doubt, but concerns. They're concerned about it. Paul says in Philippians 2.20, he says, I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare, right? That's what we're talking about. That, man, I'm, I'm burdened for your good, for your welfare. Paul's saying the unmarried person is burdened for, concerned about the things of the Lord. Students, where you're at in your life stage and in this time of life, you should be concerned about, you should be burdened for the things of the Lord. You should feel that pressure to say, man, I, I need to, to pursue Jesus, I need to pursue the things that, that he loves, that matter to him. In fact, Jesus put it this way in Matthew 6 in the Sermon on the Mount. He said, therefore, don't be anxious with the wrong kind of anxiety, right? Don't be fearful. Don't doubt that the Lord is good and the Lord can, can provide for you. He's saying, don't be anxious, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But, he says, kingdom of God. Make your undistracted devotion seeking the kingdom of God in every arena of your life and let him take care of the rest. What does he say there? If you seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, what does he say about all those other things? They will all be added to you. You think that includes marriage? Yeah. Look, if that includes the clothes on your back and that includes the food that you eat and the water that you drink, certainly that's going to include a, a, an important relationship like marriage. Jesus would say, look, you want to be married? Great, that's awesome, but right now I want you to seek me. 
Follow me, like we talked about last night. Follow me, worship me, die to yourself, live for me. I, I want you to, to, to sell out and follow me with undistracted devotion and trust that the Lord will bring those other things into your life. And so as you're doing that, students, I want you to understand that as, as you pursue Jesus, you're preparing yourself for hopefully the type of person that you want to marry. Second point this morning is this. Be ready for marriage if that's God's will. Be ready for marriage if that's God's will. I'm going to hopefully not go out on too far of a limb here. I'm going to assume that you all in this room want to marry a godly person, yes? I'm going to assume that you want to marry a person who is mature in their faith. I'm going to assume you want to marry a person who loves Jesus. You want to marry a person who reads and studies the Bible. You want to marry somebody who cares about the lost and shares the gospel with them. You want to marry a person who prays, and not just when they sit down to eat a meal, but, but really prays. You want to marry a person who is seeking first the kingdom of God. I'm going to guess by the fact that you're here and that you're giving of your time and, and, and even your, your money to be here at this retreat that you value those things, yes? Well, you may be able to anticipate my next question, but my next question is this. If that's the type of person you want to marry, are you that type of person? Because here's the deal, that type of person, if you picture life as the Bible does so often as, as running a race, right? And picture yourself on a track and you've got the lanes on the track, right? That type of person is going to look to their left or their right to find out who's pacing their spiritual life with them. They're not going to look behind them to say who's behind me that I can grab and I can drag along in this thing called life together with me. If this is the type of person you want to marry, but that's not you, what makes you think that you're going to be attractive to this type of person? And so part of your undivided devotion during your single years is getting yourself ready to be the type of person that the type of person you want to marry wants to marry. So that you're pursuing Jesus. You are on fire for Christ so that when you look to your right and your left, you're seeing other people who love the Lord as well and they're on fire for Christ. And you can look at them and say, hey, why don't you come run this race in my lane? That's a cheesy Christian pickup line. You guys will get it later. But think about it, right? I mean, let's, let's talk about these people. Well, let's talk about these people for a little while, right? I mean, now, now Danny and Evie got saved later, but at the same time, right? I mean, God knew what was coming. He knew that these two were going to end up together. By the way, in fairness to my leaders, they did not know these pictures were coming. I went on Facebook and stole these. But he knew that, that they were, were going to be together. He knew that that was going to happen. Right? Which, by the way, my standard on this is if you put it on Facebook, it's fair game, yes? Okay. So did they need to, to worry about that? No, God, God was going to bring them together, right? In fact, what do we say when we join two people together in marriage? What God has joined together, yes? You're not going to stumble into marriage and God go, oh, yeah, I guess that works. That's good. Yeah, go for it, right? Or how about here? Here's, here's Paul and Angela. Now, Angela's not here, so I couldn't pick on Angela. So I had to, I had to just do a, a, a decent picture. But this is from y'all's wedding, right? How long have you guys been married? Three years, Three years now, right? And you didn't, 11 months, right? And married. 11 months, 11 months, right? And yet God said, here you go, Paul. And 
was she a godly woman? And you were pursuing the Lord as well, right? And so you guys found each other. You're, you're pacing together. You're going, let's, let's do this thing called marriage and this life together, right? But the Lord, all that to say, guys, look, the, the Lord brought them together. It's not as though Paul was out saying, man, I have to get married. I have to get married. And no, it was a, he didn't know his wife until 11 months before they got married. That's amazing, right? Here's Cody and Kenya. They got married when she was like 13, and Cody was like, <laughs> I, don't, I don't remember how old, but... I mean... Can you appreciate the flow on Cody, though, for a second? Do you guys see this? Yeah. But all that to say, right, they, they, they found each other. It took them less time, right? I mean, he followed the Joseph and Mary plan and was like, okay, arranged marriage, let's do this thing. Here's Cat and Louise. Yeah. Again, Facebook, gold right here. <laughs> but Captain Luis, again, got married, and, and God brought the two of them together, right? Aww. Hannah and Eric. See, look, here's the deal. It's hard to find a not Instagram-worthy picture of them because <laughs> Hannah works in social media. I mean, it's... So what I actually had to do is I had to go to Eric to find a little bit of the deep V there and, uh, and snipe that one. But listen, listen, they, they found each other, right? And these two found each other. Yeah, that was, a, uh, that was my first job in youth ministry, and that was our first Halloween doing that. And there we are in our Texas garb and attire. But guys, listen, all that to say... Make sure that you're pursuing godliness and holiness and righteousness because if that's the type of person that you want to marry, look, you need to be that type of person. And that's one of the things that this undistracted devotion to the Lord this time, right now, during this season of your life, that's how it's really still working towards that goal of you guys getting married. You letting go of this, holding on to the reins, then you're trying to, to steer the, the, the horses towards marriage, and you're, you think to yourself, man, if I let go of the reins, though, what if I never get to my goal of being married? And God's saying, hey, let go and let me handle that area. And what I want you to do is I want you to just focus on me. I want you to run to me. Come to me. And if, if it's my will for you to be married, I will put that person in your life. And you will know it at that time. So don't be afraid, y'all, to, to let go of feeling this white-knuckled grip and saying, I, I have to hold on to this relationship or I have to hold on to this concept or I have to hold on to this dream of, of being married. Because look, if you want that, does God know the desires of your heart? Yes. Does God give good gifts to his children? Yes, he does. And so you can let go of that. You can trust that he will take care of that. And listen, ladies, if you're out there going, yeah, but hey, look, it's, we're sitting here, and where are the guys to ask us out? Number one, good question, guys. Number two, number two, though, number two, look, ladies, the thing that's going to make you most attractive to the type of guy that hopefully you want to marry is for you to just be on fire for Christ, okay? And, and fellas, look, the thing that's going to make you Prince Charming in the eyes of the ladies is not being able to, to do extra reps in the gym, 
It's you loving Jesus. Loving Jesus most, right? All right, but let's put some legs to this now as we talk about this devotion, this undivided devotion. Uh, look back at verse 33 and 34 in 1 Corinthians 7. It says, but the married man is anxious about or concerned about worldly things. Again, worldly, don't think sinful things. Just think these earthly commitments that he has. How to please his wife and his interests are divided, verse 34. That's the problem, right? His interests are divided. And the unmarried or, un or betrothed woman is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to be holy in body and spirit. But the married woman, uh, she's anxious about worldly things and how to please her husband, what this really comes down to, you guys, is, is this word, right, that we talk about a lot in the church. It's this word contentment, yes? Being content where you're at. And being content where you're at and saying, okay, where I'm at is meant for me to be able to please the Lord where I'm at, to, to pursue the things of the Lord where I'm at. And if you are content with where you are, you're more prone to wake up daily and say, okay, Lord, today, how can I, how can I set my life and aim myself to please you today? If you're not content with where you are, then you're going to wake up in the morning saying, oh, Lord, man, maybe today will change my circumstances. Maybe today my life will get better because maybe I'll meet Mr. Wright or Mrs. Wright today. Not Mrs. Wright. Miss Wright today. Maybe I'll meet that person that I'm supposed to be with for the rest of my life. Some of you guys are going to catch that later and go, oh, yeah, that's right. No, you don't want to meet Mrs. Wright. That's, or she's somebody else's Mrs. Wright, not yours. Um, but when you're discontent, you sit there and you think, okay, God, I just, I need this, 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 and this, and then I'll be happy. God, I need this, 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 and this, and if you'll do these things for me, then I'll be able to pursue you with this undivided devotion. That's not, that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about you getting to this place of contentment with the Lord and saying, okay, like the Apostle Paul in Philippians chapter 3, right, when he says, look, everything that I have, all the things that I've done, all my accomplishments are nothing in light of the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus Christ, my Lord. Your contentment starts with loving Jesus most. Right? So if you can get there, then you can wake up every day and say, okay, today, Jesus, my aim is to please you. You know my desires in my heart. You know my desires would be, yeah, I would love to be in a relationship. I'd love to be married. But only as an extension of the fact that that is going to help me glorify you more. And you know that, and I'm going to entrust that desire to you and trust that you will handle it. And right now, instead, I'm going to set myself to just say, today, what's before me? And how do I need to please you? Final point this morning is this. Regardless of relational status, aim daily to please the Lord. Regardless of relational status, aim daily to please the Lord. Paul says that he wants to secure your undivided devotion to the Lord. Undivided devotion, that nothing is going to distract you from Jesus. That's your aim every single morning you get up. God, let nothing distract me from following you today. And he gives two descriptions for what this should look like. Number one, that we need to be concerned about how to please the Lord. How to please the Lord. The contrast, again, is the man who's concerned how to please his wife, what makes her happy. So 30,000 foot view, what does it look mean to please the Lord? It means to do the things that he loves and to not do the things that he hates, Right? It's a basic principle of how you make somebody happy. But let's put a little bit more feet to this. Galatians 1.10, Paul says this, For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, notice what he says here, I would not be a servant of Christ. 
So if you want to please the Lord, understand that that's often going to put you at odds with the world. And if you are not at odds with the world, then maybe you need to ask yourself, am I really pleasing Christ? Jesus told us this, John 15, look, if the world hated me, they're going to what? They're going to hate you. That's strong language, yes? Later on, he says, look, the world's not going to love you because you're not of the world. If you were of the world, the world would love you as one of its own. But the reality is you're not of the world, so the world's not going to love you. And so part of pleasing the Lord looks like, man, you should feel a tension, a dissonance between you and the world. There should be a friction between what you value and what the world values. Next, in 2 Corinthians 5, 8 through 10, Paul says, yes, we are of good courage. We would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. So now you see the context of 2 Corinthians 5, 10. I've referenced this before. This is called the Bema seat judgment, Right? And this is for believers, not for unbelievers. This is not a judgment of heaven and hell, okay? That's been decided. That was decided where? That was decided at the cross, yes? That's been decided. That's at the cross. This is about heavenly reward. This is eternal. This is the the assessment of Jesus on our lives and saying, hey, how did you live your life? And this is where you'll have reward given or reward lost. Because he's talking to Christians here. Notice that we are of good courage. When Paul's saying we, he's speaking about Christians. And we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So whether we are at home or away, we, Christians, make it our aim to please Jesus. For we, that same we, must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. And so that's part of what it means to wake up daily with an undistracted devotion to Jesus to please him is to say, look, Jesus, I want to live my life today so that when I stand at the judgment seat of Christ, this is a good day. Does that make sense? So you say, man, my life today, it was, I was banking eternal rewards today. And that's that's not a bad motivation. What does Jesus say? Store up for yourselves treasures where? In heaven. And so part of our undivided devotion in doing the things that please the Lord. We're doing the things that please the Lord so that when we stand before the Lord, we're going to hear him say, well done, good and Let's see here. Grab your Bibles. Open over to Ephesians chapter 5. Talk a little bit more about what what does it look like practically to please God, to make it your undivided, undistracted devotion to please the Lord. Ephesians 5, verse 7. Let's read down through verse 21. It says this, Therefore do not become partakers with them, for at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light, for the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. And try to discern what is, here's our phrase, try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore, it says, awake, O sleeper, and rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Verse 15, what does it mean to please the Lord? Look carefully how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise 
making the best use of the time, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord in your hearts, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, and submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. And so Paul there is talking about what does it look like to please the Lord? Well, it's not doing the deeds of darkness, but doing the things of the light. It's asking yourself, what is the will of the Lord? Trying to discern God's will for your life. It's saying daily, you know what, Lord, today I'm going to live for you. I'm going to walk not as unwise, but I'm going to walk as somebody who is wise. It's saying, you know what, I'm not going to get drunk with wine or do anything else that's going to compromise my ability to think clearly and sober-mindedly. And and instead, what am I going to do? I'm going to seek to be filled by the Spirit. And I'm going to do all of this, he says, in community with one another. I'm going to encourage brothers and sisters in Christ. That's what we're going to talk about tomorrow morning is the importance of the church in living an undistracted devotion to the Lord. But right now, he's even alluding to that in Ephesians 5. Turn over to Colossians. Colossians chapter 1. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. God's electric power company. That's how I learned it, at least. There's other ones. Colossians 1, verse 9 through 14. And this is Paul talking about how he prays for the church. He says, so for the day that we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him. That you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him. What does that look like, Paul? Bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. May you be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son in whom we have redemption and the forgiveness of sins, right? Walk in a manner worthy of the calling that you have received, in a manner pleasing to him. What does that look like? Bearing fruit. What kind of fruit? Well, the same fruit that this same author talks about elsewhere, which is what? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control, right? It's, it's living out your relationship with Jesus. It's pleasing to the Lord. That should be your daily, your aim, this undivided devotion to the Lord. I want to be this type of person today, God. So he says they're concerned about how to please the Lord, but then he says also they're concerned about how to be holy in body and spirit. How to be holy in body and spirit. Uh, Grab your Bibles and turn over to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Pick up in verse 1, and let's read down through verse 8. Paul says here, he says, Finally then, brothers, we ask and urge you in the Lord Jesus that as you received from us how you ought to walk and to please God. Did you catch that there? We've been talking to you about how to walk and to please God just as you are doing, that you do so more and more, that you excel still more. For now, you know what instructions we gave you through the Lord Jesus. For this is the will of God, your sanctification. Okay, let's stop there for a second. How many times have you said, man, I wish I knew what God's will for my life is? Okay, read that again. For this is the will of God, what? Your sanctification. What does it mean to be sanctified? It means to be made more like 
more like Jesus, yes? To be made more holy, literally. So God's will for your life is that you would be more like Jesus. So that answers that question no matter what you're, you're looking for. Man, I wish God, I knew God's will for my life and what school to attend. Okay, well, is one of them going to further your relationship with Jesus over the other? There you go. Well, but it doesn't have as strong of a pre-med program. I don't care. It's going to make you love Jesus more. Well, I don't know if I should date this person or that person. Which one's going to make you love Jesus more? I don't know if I should break up with my boyfriend or girlfriend. I wish I knew God's will. Are they hindering your relationship with Jesus? If the answer is yes, kick them to the curb. And don't look back. Right, when we were asking, I wish I knew the will of God. I wish I knew the will of God. I wish I knew the will of God. Well, God's will is ultimately for you to please him. And for you to please him foundationally and fundamentally looks like you looking more and more and more like Jesus. Listen, if you are in an ungodly relationship, you have my full permission to break up with them and say, if you have a problem with it, go talk to Pastor PJ. I'm happy to talk to him. Please, please come talk to me. your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality, that each of you know how to control his own body in holiness and in honor. Well, what does Paul say here? We need to know how to please the Lord and be concerned about how to be holy in body and spirit. And then he says, look, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, that each of you know how to control his own body in holiness and in honor. It's like the same author wrote the Bible, and I'm not talking about Paul. Verse 5, not in the passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God, that no one transgress and wrong his brother in this matter, because the Lord is an avenger in all these things. As we told you beforehand and solemnly warned you, for, you, for God has not called us for impurity, but in holiness. God has not called us for impurity, but in holiness. Therefore, whoever disregards this, disregards not man, but God, who gives his Holy Spirit to you. So part of what it looks like to walk in a manner that pleases the Lord and undivided devotion to the Lord is living holy and godly and pure lives before him. You know, so much of this all that we're talking about here is about believing the promises of God. Talked about that a little bit last night as we ended as well. That the future joys that God has for you are so much better than the present joys. And as you think about your status as a single person, if you say, well, yeah, but I, I do want to be married, look, that's a good thing. That desire is a good thing. But if you're looking at marriage with the hopes that that's going to satisfy, that that's going to make you happy, that that's going to fulfill you, that, that then you're going to feel like, man, okay, I'm good now because I'm married. If, if that's if those feelings are there, then, then marriage is, is an idol for you. And you're putting way, way, way too much pressure on the person that you're marrying. And they're not going to be able to live up to it. Your future spouse is not your savior. You only have one of those. And it's Jesus. And if you want a future marriage that is solid and godly and strong and vibrant and good and holy and passionate and awesome, you've got to be right now learning about what it means to be satisfied fully and in, in, in only in God and in your relationship with Christ. That's the foundation that's going to give you a marriage that you want.
as I land here, 1 Corinthians 7, 29 through 31, right before this passage that we just read, that we just looked at, Paul writes, this is what I mean, brothers. The appointed time has grown very short. From now on, let those who have wives live as though they had none, and those who mourn as though they were not mourning, and those who rejoice as though they were not rejoicing, and those who buy as though they had no goods, and those who deal with the world as though they had no dealings with it, for the present form of this world is passing away. Paul is saying the time is growing short. Care about the things that really matter. The, the thing that matters most is Jesus, right? Jesus. Let's pray, and then we'll have a closer and then go to small groups. God, we are, are thankful for Christ, and, and God, I'm thankful for marriage. Marriage is a good thing. It's a great thing, God. I thank you for just the, the gift of relationships and the way that you designed that and created that. But Lord, I just pray for these students, who, especially the ones that are single out here who uh, marriage is not on the radar right now for them. I, it's not a prospect for them. I pray that you would give them a deep contentment in Christ, that you would make Jesus the most beautiful thing, the most beautiful one. And that they would have a new resolve, even having read this passage and, and considered these words, to, to think, you know, what my concern needs to be Christ and not who am I going to be with and who am I going to marry and what the, what's that going to be like. I, I need to just, I need to love Jesus most. And as you say in Matthew, as you literally, Jesus, as you said in Matthew's gospel, look, if you seek first the kingdom of God, all these other things are going to be added unto you. Lord, protect the hearts and the minds in here from turning marriage, which is a good thing, into an ultimate thing and allowing it to become an idol in their lives. God, we want Christ most. Lord, I pray that these students would, as they pursue Jesus with an undivided devotion, be preparing themselves to be godly husbands and godly wives and godly fathers and godly mothers, Lord. That they, as they invest well in you right now and in their relationship with you right now, that you would be turning them into a, a dynamic powerhouse, God, that is going to create families that are going to do amazing things for your kingdom. Lord, let us not be distracted even by a good thing like marriage from focusing on what we really need to keep the ultimate thing, which is Jesus. It's in his name.